Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. Uh, We're finishing a series today that we started at the beginning of the year called Thriving in Babylon. And this series I feel like is important uh, because what it really does is we're looking at the life of Daniel and how he lived in a culture that was combative toward his faith and toward what he believed. And, and we live in a world today that is combative toward the core doctrines that are held by Christian churches. Um, and it's not a war because we're not out to win a war. We're out to influence culture. That's really what we're all about. And that's what Daniel attempted to do. Daniel understood that there were some things he had to do in order to thrive in Babylon. Um, He didn't want to just survive. He didn't want to just survive his captivity. He really wanted to influence and to push back and to change the culture that he was living in. And and that's what God has called us to do as individuals and corporately as a church, to not just survive the culture we live in, but to influence and change the culture we live in. And so what we want to do through this series is look at the life of Daniel and then apply the lessons from his life to our lives and help us see how we can do that, how we can push back on the darkness that's encroaching into our lives. Um, Week one of this series, and just so you know, um, this is a great book by Larry Osborne. It's called Thriving in Babylon. This is our companion piece. If you want to look a little more deeply into this, uh, we couldn't cover it all in five weeks, but feel free. Pick this book up. It'll give you some insight into that um, and give you a little more depth in some of the things we're talking about. But week one of the series, we lay the foundation, and we said um, Daniel could thrive in Babylon because he understood this one thing. He understood that God is in control of who is in control. And this is something I've reminded people of over and over, but this is something, uh, it's funny, I've started seeing this crop up on uh, Facebook. People post this, and and it's just interesting to see. But Daniel could thrive in this culture because he understood that no matter what the circumstances looked like, God was still in control. That God is in control of situations that seem out of control. That, That no matter who's in the White House or who's in the governor's house in Harrisburg, no matter who your boss is, God is still ultimately sovereign and he's in control. So when your situation looks desperate, just know that God is in control of who's in control. That that we can take comfort in that because God is good and he knows what he's doing even though we don't always know what he's up to. Well, in week two we looked at the fact that all of us deal with tests. None of us like tests. I used to try to avoid tests when I was uh, in school, but we all have to face tests. And what tests do is tests don't crush us, which we think they do, but really what tests do is they reveal something about who we are. It reveals who we are and whose we are, who is in us. Um, And this is what happens when a test comes to someone who has a a, a false or counterfeit faith. What it does is it reveals that. And so the test comes and inevitably they're going to fall or fail and then that's the end. But someone who has authentic faith in Christ, they're not going to always be successful, but when the test comes, even if they fall, they're going to get back up. And I'm thankful that those tests reveal something about who we are. Um, and unfortunately, tests come to all of us. Week three, we, we started this subsection on um, characteristics of people who thrive in Babylon. That there are some things that people who thrive, there's some things they look like and some things they do. And so we started in week three talking about uh, hope. And we talked about Matthew, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. And I said then that this is kind of uh, my key passage for 
for 2017, and it basically says that suffering builds endurance, endurance builds character, and character builds hope. So we all want hope, but in order to truly experience biblical hope, sometimes and most of the time, we have to experience suffering, because suffering, if it's submitted to God, will build endurance, and endurance helps us to get to know the heart of God. And it helps our character to grow because we understand God's character. And ultimately, when we truly understand God's character, it leads to hope. Last week, we talked about humility. Um, that we want to influence our culture. And in order to influence our culture, we have to engage our culture. And when we engage our culture in humility, it causes us to serve. And so we talked about all the different ways that when we serve others, the people around us, it breaks down barriers. It breaks down the roadblocks and allows us to build relationships so that we can influence the community and the world around us. And today I want us to talk just for a few minutes about wisdom. I love wisdom. I think uh, this is a topic we've talked about a few times, but when we look at biblical wisdom in the context of Daniel's life, there are a lot of things we can take away from that. And there's too many things to really, really hit them all today, but I just want us to look at this for a few minutes. Um, when we talk about wisdom, just a basic rudimentary uh, definition of, of wisdom is the practical application of, of knowledge. So just to give you an example, we all know, we all know how to lose weight, Right? We all know. We know exactly what we need to do. We know how to lose weight. You eat less, or you eat the right foods, and you work out more, right? It's no mystery. Um, just mix in a salad once in a while. How about a sit-up? You know, like, I know what to do. It's not knowledge that's hurting me. It's the application that's hurting me. Does that make sense? Does anybody else resemble that a little bit? You're like, yeah, I get you. Financially, we all know. How, how do you... How do you go from being in debt to being out of debt? Well, you spend less, you save more. It's pretty simple. We all understand this. We know what to do. The application is the part that hurts us, doesn't it? And this is true of the Bible as well. We know how to grow in our faith. We know exactly what we need to do to grow in our relationship with God. It is not a mystery. The problem is application. Applying it to our lives is troublesome. It's hard to do sometimes. And that's really what wisdom is all about. It's, it's application of knowledge. The, the biblical word or the Hebrew word for wisdom is chakmah. Did you like that? How I even like did the ch? Um, but it's chakmah. And chakmah, um, it, it's, it's a multifaceted word for wisdom. One level of wisdom is the word uh, that we would use to describe artisans or people who are skilled in a trade. People like goldsmiths or architects. People that had a very specific um, knowledge that they applied to a trade. Uh, and those people were called wise because they had knowledge that they applied. Uh, but there's another level of wisdom that we see in the life of, of um, King Solomon. He's known as the wisest man that ever lived. And the reason he was known as the wisest man that ever lived is he asked God for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom to govern the nation of Israel. And so this is the type of wisdom that is adept at uh, solving problems and seeing an issue and cutting through the issue and, and getting to the other side. Now, I believe Solomon had a gift for this, but it's closely aligned with the spiritual gift that we talked about. In October, we talked about the, spirit, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts that, that we are able to use for the glory of God. Um, and one of the gifts we talked about was the gift of wisdom. And I truly believe that when you're up against a situation you don't understand or you're not sure how to navigate, that if you simply ask God, say, God, I, I need your wisdom. I don't know how to navigate this. I don't know how to get through this. I don't know how we're going to make it. God is able to, to supernaturally endue you with 
the gift of wisdom to help you know what you should do in a specific situation or for a specific season. Um, and this is a gift of wisdom, and, and God can do this. Uh, and then there's another level of wisdom, and this is what we see a lot in Scripture, this type of wisdom, that it's tied not so much to the gift of wisdom or wisdom for a moment, but it is really wisdom for a lifetime. It's the wisdom that we apply to our lives as we mature in faith. Um, we see the Apostle Paul talks about it in the epistles several times. He talks about us being made perfect in Christ. And what he's talking about is that we are matured in Christ. That's really what it means, that we grow in maturity in him. That we don't act like we did when we were kids anymore. Um, and How many of you, some of you have babies. Um, some of you remember when you had babies, but when, when my girls were little and they couldn't feed themselves, I never got frustrated with them because they couldn't feed themselves because they were babies, right? They'd be silly. Like, why are you still pooping in your diaper? I can't believe it. I'm sick of changing your diapers. Like, that's what babies do, right? Like, that's their number one job uh, is to demand attention from their parents, basically. And we don't get frustrated with them because that's what babies do. Um, when my girls were little and we would feed them, they'd be sitting in the high chair and we'd do little things with them, maybe little games. Maybe you'd do the same thing and you'd get the food on the spoon and, and you go, okay, who's ready to eat? Who's hungry? <gasps> Here it comes, coming for a landing. Right? And the baby would take the bite and you go, oh, that's my good boy. That's my good girl. Good girl, right? Let me ask you this. Let's say this afternoon you decide, let's go out to eat. You're walking through the restaurant. You look over and go, oh, hey, there's Pastor Mel and Kim. And you see Kim with a spoon of food. <laughs> and she said, who's hungry? I go, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. <gasps> Here it comes. It's coming up for a landing. <clears throat> right? You'd be like, we're never attending that church again. We're never going back. Because it'd be kind of creepy. It'd be weird, wouldn't it? Adults aren't supposed to act like that. If, if you're mature, you feed yourself. That's what you're supposed to do, right? And it's just as creepy and weird as it is for an adult to be spoon-fed by their spouse. That's how weird it is that Paul, Paul says we should be mature that's the Hebrew word for wisdom. We see that there's a close alignment with maturity. That's the same look we should give people when we go, how long have you been a Christian, but you still want the airplane to feed you all the time? You still want to be spoon-fed? You're mature enough, you shouldn't have to have that anymore. See, you thought it was funny a minute ago. <laughs> but the truth is, there's this, this expectation of growth and maturity in our lives. And one of the things we have to see is that maturity isn't just about what we do. It's not just about the external. It really is about our heart. I love when the psalmist, when David says in, in Psalm 19, he says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. And I love this prayer because what he's saying is, God, don't just change how I act. Don't just change what I say. Don't just modify me, my behavior, but change me. See, some of us are busy trying to change ourselves from the outside in, and we're just going to change what we do or change how we act, or we're not going to go here anymore, we're not going to go there anymore, we're not going to see this person, we're not going to act this, you know. We change those things, and we wonder why it doesn't seem to take. And the reason is because we're busy trying to change the outside in, and God wants to change us from the inside out. 
And so what the psalmist is saying is he's saying, God, don't just change my behavior, but change my heart so that my behavior changes as well. Change who I am. Change the very core of my identity so that I can be like you. And that's what biblical maturity and wisdom really is all about. As we grow in the Lord, we become wiser. We know how to make decisions about our lives and and what God will be pleased with because we understand the heart and the character of God more. See, wisdom is an indicator of spiritual maturity in our lives. If you, we've all seen people that just seem like they can't get out of their own way. They do stupid thing after stupid thing after stupid thing, and and we're just going, come on, why do you keep doing this? And the reason is because they lack wisdom. And usually when somebody lacks wisdom, they are also probably spiritually immature. But this is the thing. Just because uh, someone is physically older does not mean they're going to be spiritually mature. See, it's an indicator of spiritual maturity, not physical maturity. Because we all know people who don't act like they, you assume they do. I want to be real careful how I say that. Does that make sense? You know people that you're like, why are you acting like that? Why are you, why are you putting those things on social media? You shouldn't be saying that stuff. You're a grown adult. My, my daughter is a freshman in high school, and social media drama is somewhat expected from people that are in junior high and high school. But it's not expected from somebody who's a grown adult, right? And again, it's not about our age. It's about our maturity, our spiritual maturity and our wisdom. So wisdom comes from being spiritually mature, walking with God, submitting ourselves continually to him. One of the things we don't like to see in the church is compromise. Compromise is a dirty word. We love people that are uncompromising, that'll fight for their values, and those are good things. But one of the things that wisdom tells us is which battle we should fight. And wisdom tells us there are times that we don't fight, and there are times that we do fight. In fact, you see in the life of Daniel, um, he compromised at times. And some of you might be going, he didn't compromise, what are you talking about? But he absolutely did. Um, look Look at right off the bat, he shows up. In, he was taken captive, deported from Judah to Babylon, and one of the very first things they did was change his name. They changed his name from Daniel to Belteshazzar, which is, depending on how you interpret it, basically means all glory to Bel, which was a Babylonian god. So they changed his name from Daniel to Belteshazzar. And what we don't see recorded in Scripture is him throwing a fit about it. We don't see anywhere in Scripture where he said, that is not who I am, you can't call me Belteshazzar, I'm Daniel. Oh, you don't like it? We'll do something about it, right? Because if he had done that, I have a feeling that the book of Daniel would have been much, much shorter. Because <laughs> the people he was dealing with were ruthless. Um, they didn't care about some slave that they picked up from some backwater country. So Daniel, I believe, I don't believe he fought about it. I, I believe he said, okay, you can call me Belteshazzar if you want to, but I know who I am. I, I know my identity. So you can put whatever label on me you want, but I know who I am. And he didn't fight that battle. We see just a little bit after that, though, he did fight a battle. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, they, they said, hey, you're going to eat the food of the king, which basically was an unkosher diet. It was contrary to the law of Judaism. And he rejected it. He said, no, we're not going to eat that. What did he do? Well, he was picking his battles. He drew a line and said, that is contrary to the word of God, so we can't do it. And what we have to do as Christians is have enough wisdom to understand that just because I'm uncomfortable with something doesn't mean it's forbidden by God. 
There's a difference between things that I'm uncomfortable with and things that are sinful. Does that make sense? Is anybody following me? Am I speaking English? Like something happening here? Okay. Because what happens is, what we've seen in churches over the years is it's easy, <laughs> it's easy to add to Scripture. Um, even back in the Old Testament, all the way back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, um, it's Adam and Eve in the garden, things are good. They're just living their life. They've got one instruction from God. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree. Do you see that tree? Yes. Don't eat of that fruit. Got it? Nod your head if you get it. And they all, okay, yes. Okay, good. Just making sure, you know, I'm, I'm going to be gone for but don't you, don't eat that fruit. Got it? And yes, we got it. So the devil comes to Eve and Adam later, and he said, did God really say don't eat of that fruit? Is that really what he said? And Eve said, yes, that's what he said. In fact, he said, don't eat it and don't even touch it. And you look back at Scripture, and you go, no, God never said don't touch it. Do you know what Eve did? She added, added another rule to it, which really it wasn't a bad rule. Honestly, in hindsight, I look at that and go, that's probably a pretty good thing. If you don't want to, it's going to be hard to eat it if you don't touch it, right? So just don't even touch it. And there are some rules like that that I've put in my life. We've talked about it before, but I don't ride in a car with a woman who's not my wife by herself. I'm not going to do it um, because that is a guardrail I put in place. Before we get into the danger zone, I want, to, I want to make sure that I'm not even getting in that position. So not touching the fruit is probably a good idea. But what the problem is, is when we make law out of things that should be guidelines. Does that make sense? So um, I grew up in a traditional kind of uh, charismatic Pentecostal type of church, and, uh, and my family kind of has that background. So um, I grew up around a lot of people who thought it was sinful not just to watch a movie, but to go to a movie theater. And so I can remember when I was little, my granny saying, well, I mean, you can go to a movie, but you just don't want Jesus to come back while you're in that movie theater. <laughs> it's like 10, Right. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I can't go to heaven if I'm in a movie theater? What? Is that in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. What they did is they added a layer, didn't they? They said, well, we're supposed to avoid immorality. And there's some stuff, let's be honest, there's some stuff in the media that is pretty immoral that we probably need to avoid. But what they did is they put a layer up that should have been a guideline. Instead, they made it a law. They made it a rule. And so we're good at this. And so what we have to do as Christians is be wise enough to understand what is forbidden by God, what is, what is sinful, and, and what are some things that maybe it's not as big a deal, that we're not going to fight over it. Does that make sense? That's where wisdom comes into place. Um, and, and Daniel, he understood this. Um, Daniel understood, hey, um, yeah, you can call me Belteshazzar if you want to, but I'm not eating that food. And hey, th- I'm going to do this because it's... It's not forbidden, and I want to influence, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to draw the line. And that's really what Daniel was all about. Daniel, he compromised in some areas because he knew in order to influence the culture that he was living in, he, he had to use wisdom. He had to serve. He had to humble himself. And so that's, that's really what he was doing. Um, One of the things that's interesting is, uh, historically, we look at Daniel's life, and Daniel had to study the dark arts of the Babylonians. So he had to study all the Babylonian gods, and all their deities, and all the things they did, and all the ways they practiced and worshipped. He had to study all of that stuff. And, And again, for me, that's a red flag, and I go, ooh, I'm uncomfortable with that. 
But Daniel was walking this fine line of understanding that, and ultimately he used that to debunk their faith. Um, we talked about this last week or the week before. When he interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king, he came to the king and said, hey, nobody else could do this. And I've studied all of your dark arts. I've studied all the things, and your enchanters and your wise men. And none of those people could do it. Do you know who could do it? The one true God, Jehovah. He's the only one. He said, all the things I've studied, all the things I've seen, none of that led us to the point where I could understand. But the one thing that gave me understanding of your dream and the interpretation of your dream was God. So even in that moment, he understood that worshiping a false god was forbidden. But he walked that fine line where he said, but I want to influence. And he used wisdom to do that. Um, I used to have, uh, when I was a, a youth pastor, I used to have teenagers that would come to me and go, Pastor Mel, uh, you know what, I, I'm going to go to a party this weekend, but I'm not going to party, I'm going to influence the people at the party. <laughs> mm, maybe that's not a good idea, right? And, and this kid said, I don't know why you don't think it's cool, Jesus went to parties all the time. Said, yeah, but you're not Jesus. I'm pretty sure I've checked, and you are not Jesus, right? Like, it's clear to me you're not acting like Jesus, so you're probably going to have issues. And, and we walk this fine line between saying, hey, I want to influence culture, while at the same not, time not being influenced by the culture. And we have to use wisdom, what we do and how we do it. Um, I talk to, to people all the time, and I don't want to just pick on IEP students. It's great having IEP students back. I love our IEP students. Um, a smattering of applause. Some people still aren't sure if you like IEP students or not. That's okay. You will. But I still talk to, to people all the time who say, Mel, I'm struggling with the pressure of the culture I'm in. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. But man, the, the, the pressure to give up into the culture that it surrounds me is so hard. And it absolutely is. But that's where we use wisdom, where we grow in our faith, where we press into the Lord and say, God, help me have understanding of where I need to draw the line and where I don't need to draw the line. Help me see what I need to do. So in, in the book of Daniel, uh, if you want to read this story, you can in Daniel chapter 5. But uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king at the beginning of the story, the king of Babylon, he had passed away. His uh, son was in charge, Balthazar. Balthazar was in power. He had a party one night, and while they were partying, uh, they see a hand, a floating hand, writing on the wall, in the plaster on the wall. And this is where, in, in culture, we hear write, the writings on the wall. Um, that's where that comes from. And nobody could read the handwriting on the wall, and so they said, hey, your dad used to know a guy. He was a, a castaway from Judah. Why don't we go see if he's available? And so they found him, they brought him in, and he interpreted the writing on the wall, and the writing basically said, you're going to die. <laughs> like, that's bad news, right? So he said, basically, your, your kingdom's coming to an end. God's going to get it over to the Medes and the Persians, so you're going to die pretty soon. And that night, he died. And so what we see next in Daniel chapter 6 is the next king of, of, of Babylon. It's not actually a Babylonian king. Um, Belshazzar was the last um, Babylonian king, but the next king was a guy named Darius. He was a Mede of the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire came to, um, to power uh, around the time that the Babylonian Empire was waning and, and falling. There were some interesting dynamics between their two kingdoms and, and these empires, but Babylon was, on, was, was receding as uh, the Medo-Persian Empire was really taking 
um, taking control. And so King Darius comes in, comes in, and he likes Daniel because Daniel's a sharp guy. And the way the Medo-Persians have it set up is there's the king. So if this is a flow chart, like for your company, but with the kingdom, you've got the king at the top of the flow chart, and then you've got three guys under the king, and then you've got all these people under these three guys that are running the kingdom. And Daniel, who was, um, he was an exile, he was a refugee, if you can say it like that, from another country, showed up, uh, and some people didn't like that he was there because he didn't believe like they did, uh, he didn't think like they did, and he was getting a lot of attention from Darius. And so there were some people that wanted him gone. And it's amazing how many parallels there are between the stories we see in Scripture in our lives today. But these people conspired against Daniel when they said he should not be in charge. In fact, Darius was going to put him as second in control over the Medo-Persian Empire, which was a huge deal. So these guys started conspiring against Daniel, and they said, hey, king, we had an idea. What do you think about this? What if, what if we come up with a law that says if you serve any or if you worship anyone besides you, you have to be thrown into the lion's den? The king said, yes, that sounds reasonable. Of course, why wouldn't we do that? Everybody needs to worship me. So they came up with this law, and immediately after the law was enacted, he realized that he made a mistake because Daniel would never worship him. And so there was nothing he could do because when a king made a law, it was ironclad. Even the king couldn't change his own law. So he went to Daniel, and he just said, I'm sorry that we've got to do this. And he took Daniel and he threw him in the lion's den. Now, if you've ever been to the zoo, I've been to the zoo a few times. I like the zoo. I like the lions. I like to stand out there and watch the lions. They're laying around. Uh, sometimes you tap the glass, see if you can get their attention. I'm pretty confident about the lions when I'm standing on the outside of the lion's den. But if I was in the lion's den, I probably wouldn't be nearly as confident. Does anybody agree with that? So Daniel is in this den with these lions, and they put the rock over the covering. They seal it with the king's own insignia, with his ring, and that's it. The Bible tells us that that night, King Darius, who was not a Christian, he was not uh, a follower of Jehovah, the Jew Jewish God, and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was not a follower. He, he worshiped his own gods. But that night, he prayed for Daniel, and he prayed that Daniel would be spared. So the next day, they went and they rolled the stone away. They unsealed it, rolled the stone away, and they looked in, and Daniel was still alive. They expected to find him torn piece to piece by these lions, but instead he was alive. And there's some historical record of, um, of King Darius uh, and, and of the kings of that age, of the Medo-Persians. And one of the things that they would do, this is an actual historical story, one of the things they would do is um, when they would take over a kingdom— they would uh, do just ghastly things to the royal families if they had to fight. Um, and so I just, I'm trying to paint a picture because King Darius was not a good guy. It's easy to look at him as a good guy in Scripture, in the narrative, because we go, oh, well, he liked Daniel. And if he liked Daniel, he must have been a nice guy, but he was not a nice guy. Um, so one of the things that they would do to kingdoms that they had to fight in order to take over, um, there's a story of this battle that ensues, they finally, the Persians finally win the battle, and they bring all the royal family in before the king. All of his kids are lined up before the king of this country. And they go one by one down the line, killing all the children in front of the king. And then when they finish killing his kids, they pluck the king's eyes out, so he'll live the rest of his life with the last memory, the last thing he saw, being his children murdered in front of him. 
These weren't good people. They were ghastly. It was terrifying how they acted, what they did. They weren't godly at all. But he prayed for Daniel. And then when Daniel is is found alive, they bring him out. And there's this moment where Daniel has influenced the king and he realizes who Daniel is and what God has done. And this is what it reads in Daniel chapter 6, verse 25. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on earth. And it says this, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For, listen to this, it's describing, this is a pagan, a non-believer. He says, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Daniel understood there are some fights I'm going to fight and there are things that I'm not going to fight about because Daniel understood his number one goal was to influence the culture around him. And in order to influence the culture around him, he had to humble himself and serve the culture around him. He had to use wisdom on what fights to fight and what fights to avoid. And ultimately, we see this king who was ruthless, say, you know what? I don't know what it is, but there's something to this guy's faith. The God he serves is legit. So he saves, he rescues, he's powerful. And this was a non-believer. I want us to influence our community. My goal is not to have a gigantic church. My goal is to influence our community. My goal is to see this community changed. See our region changed. See our world changed. It doesn't happen when we just shout over our opponents. When we scream louder than they scream. It happens when we humble ourselves, when we serve, when we use wisdom to understand where we draw the lines and where we don't. Um, so we're looking at hiring... Um, young adult college pastor here at the church. And um, I had a guy in this last weekend with us, and he asked me, he said, Mel, what's your goal? What is your goal for college ministry at the summit? And he said, do you, you want a lot of kids? And I said, well, yeah, that's part of it. We want to, but it's not about having a lot of students coming to church. It's about us influencing the campus. And I said, you, you want to hear something that, that I think is possible? And I said, it's my goal to change the culture at IUP to such a point that IU Patties doesn't even matter anymore. I want us to change the culture at IEP to the point that the locals don't leave town when homecoming happens because nobody cares because it's just another weekend. And some of you go, well, Mel, I've lived here a long time. That's not possible. Well, you're part of the problem. (laughs) It absolutely is possible. My, My Bible tells me that with man, there are things that can't happen, but with God, anything can happen. And I choose to believe we can change the culture of our city. And it's not going to happen when we stand to the side and go, well, IUP, and I can't stand, and they need to find, no. It happens when we humble ourselves. When we say, hey, you know what, Um, I'm going to know where to draw the line, but I'm going to know where to not draw the line, too. I'm going to know when I need to fight, but I'm going to know when I need to just maybe keep my mouth shut. Um. 
I don't know if you realize this, um, we have a pretty significant Muslim population in our community. Did you know that? We got quite a few around. Um, And it would be real easy for us to say um, things like, um, well, hey, we just need to keep our space. You know, let them do their thing. We're going to do our thing. Um, Because I know what the Bible says, that there's one way to get to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to heaven. That's what the scripture tells us. So, so it would be easy for us to say, hey, let's just avoid people that don't believe like we believe. And even in the Christian community, there's churches that don't believe like we believe. So maybe we should just avoid them. Let's not partner together. We definitely don't talk from stage about how they're doing a good job. But that's not the case. Um, a couple years ago, we did a thing called, um, called Kid Fest. And I love that event. And um, and I, at the time, Pastor Matt Mano was our kids pastor, and I love the fact his wife, Kaylin, is here today with their baby. I'm glad to see that, but uh, back in the corner. Anyway, um, but Pastor Matt did this thing called Kids Fest for us, and it was every fall we would do this big outreach out back, and, um, and it was just free, inflatables and games, and whoever showed up, it was great. It was just an opportunity to love on our community. And so uh, there's a kid in our 930 service, he's graduating this year, his name is Brandon, and Brandon was helping up front at the front as everybody was coming in, they were giving him wristbands and things like that, and he's a very friendly guy, and he was talking to all these people, and I'm a little further back, and I can see these two ladies with their kids, and they're walking toward the, the, the welcome center, the welcome tent, and um, it was clear by the way they were dressed, they were Muslim, and so they're coming up, and it was funny, because uh, Brandon, he just greets him like he did everybody else. Hey, how we doing today, guys? It's great to see you. And he said, hey, let me just tell you, there's games all around. You can get tickets for the games. You take the tickets over here. If you want to win a prize, you can get a prize at the tickets. And here's what you do. And man, we got food. We got cotton candy. We got snow cones. We got free hot dogs. You guys like hot dogs? <laughs> and I'm standing there and I go, hey, Brandon, nah, nah. They, they don't like hot dogs. And he goes, what are you kidding me? Everybody likes hot dogs. <laughs> I was like, well, why don't you guys come with me? Come on, come with me. And so later on back to Brandon, I was like, hey, Brandon, they don't like hot dogs. You know, they don't eat hot dogs because they don't eat pork. And he's like, what? And I was like, I know, right? And... <laughs> But it was just funny. You know what we didn't do? We didn't go, oh, hey, ladies, I'm glad you're here. But you know what? Um, we're really not comfortable with you being here. Maybe it would be better if, um, could, you, could you change your outfit for us? Because that would be better if you did that. Could, maybe, you could, maybe you could just go do some stuff with your, your mosque down the street. It would be better for us, and it's just uncomfortable. And No, do you know what we did? We said, Man, it's great to see you. We're so glad you're here. You don't have to have a hot dog. Why don't you have a snow cone, right? <laughs> you know what we did? We just served them. We just loved on them. If we want to influence our community, we have to figure out what fights we're going to fight and what fights aren't worth it. And we have to serve them well. We have to humble ourselves and serve them well. Say, God, help us see where we need to use your wisdom in order to influence our community and love people well. That's what this is about. That's what spiritual maturity is really all about. We talked last week, humility is all about serving others. And wisdom is all about us understanding when I need to fight and when I need to keep my mouth shut. And too many times we fight about everything. But we see the results. What happens when we serve our community? People who don't even know God, people who are far from God, say what King Darius did. There is something to this faith thing. I don't understand it. I don't get it. There's something to it. And that's what our desire is. We want to change our community. We want to change our world. The way we do that is by doing what Daniel did. 
We have hope in Christ. It's, it's not a wish, it's something we know. We humble ourselves to the people around us. We serve them well so that we can influence them for the glory of God. And then, gosh, we use wisdom and figure out when we need to keep our mouths shut and when we need to fight. And if we can do that, we can change our world. But you know what? It'll change your family too. It'll change your workplace if we just apply these principles in Scripture to our lives. But at the end of the day, it all starts with one thing. It starts with our relationship with Christ. He paid the price for us. If we don't apply that to our lives, if we don't take on the blood of Christ that we talked about earlier during communion when Pastor Dick talked about it, if we don't receive that, then everything else is for naught. It all begins there. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray together. God, I love you, and I'm grateful. Number one, I'm grateful for the blood of Christ that covers us, that washes us, that atones for our sin. It pays the price for us. So thank you for that. Thank you. Um, for giving us life. Thank you that we have an opportunity to, to speak life into our community, to bless those around us. So God, I pray that we would be wise. We would know how to live a lifestyle that brings glory to you. Let us know when to, when to fight a fight, when to keep our mouths shut. And ultimately, God, I pray that it would bring glory to you. God, have your way among us today. Speak into us today. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask you, if you're here today and you recognize the fact that maybe your life is a mess, maybe you've made a series of unwise choices, one after another, after another, after another, and your life is a train wreck, and you recognize that, and you say today, Mel, you know what, uh, I can't fix my life, I can't do it, but I know, I know someone who can, I know that I need to submit my life to God, I know I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to bring you forward. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to pray with you right where you are. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, um, I need the wisdom you're talking about, but to be honest with you, I know it begins with a relationship and I, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you be bold enough just to slip your hand up high enough where I can see it and then you can put it right back down? Is there anyone here today that would say, that's me, pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Thanks, up in the balcony, I see you couple hands up there. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Over here by my, on my left. Thank you. Thank you down here. Center section. Who else? Four. Thank you. Over here on my left. I see you. Praise God. Who else? Says, that's me. Pray for me. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life today. Thank you. Up front. Thank you. Over here on my right. Praise God. Praise God. I want every person in this place, whether you raise your hand or not, just repeat this really simple prayer after me. Just say this out loud with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me by paying the price for my sins on the cross. Today, I give you my life. And I'm asking you to use it for your glory. Change me and help me see change in the world around me, in my home in my neighborhood, and in my community. Use me. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. And I'm never going back to my old life. Today, I am yours, and you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's give God a round of applause today. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, 
Uh, I just want to encourage you, whether you raised your hand or not, I just want to encourage you and let you know I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. And just like we said earlier, uh, our spiritual walk is a maturation process. It didn't just happen. We have to grow in our faith. We want to help you grow in your faith. And if you're here today and you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you. There's a card that looks like this one in the seat back in front of you. Take a minute and fill this card out. On one side it says, uh, need prayer. On the other side it says salvation. On this side, fill it out. Let us know about your decision today. We want to help you take the next step in your faith journey. Simply drop this in one of our offering boxes as you leave today so that we can help you take the next step. If you're here today and you don't feel like filling the card out, you're a little uncomfortable with that, that's okay. Uh, maybe you're watching online today and you need, um, you prayed that prayer and you meant it. I just want to encourage you. Take your mobile device out, your cell phone, and you can simply text the word salvation to the number 555 888. And when you do that, we're going to respond back to you and help you take the next step. We want to resource you. We want to connect you in relationships that are going to help you grow in your faith. So text us and let us know so we can help you with that. This is what's going to happen right now. Our worship team is going to lead us in one final song. As they do so, our prayer team's on either side of the stage. If you need prayer for any reason, step out from your seat and find one of them as we're worshiping together. I tell you this all the time. I love you more than you know, and I'm so honored I get to be your pastor. 